Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're going to have a conversation here that I think, I was going to, I mean, I, I know people like this. I think some people think I'm like this. I'm not, in some ways. I don't know. Anyway, we're talking about a loneliness epidemic, okay? Um, it's pretty well documented. One in five people uh, report that, yeah, they're lonely. And this is the part I don't really understand. They've associated real-life health implications with loneliness. Things like a higher BMI, higher cholesterol, higher blood pressure seem to go along with loneliness, not to mention the mental health implications of being lonely. So what's the antidote? Well, it's friendship. That's what it is. Um, but that can be a bit of a challenge, too. So we're going to get into this conversation now with Jessica Ayers, an assistant professor of psychological science at Boise State University. Jessica, uh, thanks so much for being here. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Okay. It's kind of remarkable to me when you go through the list of uh, physiological impacts of being lonely. Like, Do you have any sense of why those correlations are made, like higher BMI, higher blood pressure, and loneliness seem to go together? Why would that be? Yeah, so if we kind of start at the beginning and we think about what loneliness is, you know, it's being alone by yourself. You don't have people that you can reach out to, connect to. That kind of also sounds a little bit like depression, sadness, all of those other negative emotions that we don't really like to feel. And if we keep kind of extrapolating out from there, when we're lonely, we don't have people to reach out to. So maybe we're not going out as much. We're not going and walking in a park or meeting someone up to play okay. a game of basketball or whatever it is. We see these negative health outcomes, though, because we're then left by ourselves. When we're lonely, we generally tend to stay in our houses. There's only so much you can walk around in your house. Um, but where some of those causal links come from, we'd have to look back a little bit farther and kind of start thinking about, well, humans are really social animals. We really need social connections to thrive, to be able to um, basically meet all of our needs. And so when we're in a situation where we can't meet those, we then have that kind of depressed reaction. Interesting. Okay, so the, the the antidote, as I said, the cure-all here is friendship, right? And we know that those physical benefits come along with friendship, right? I mean, you can, it has that kind of an impact. It, it The benefit is there. Mm-hmm. And mental health, when we talk about that, obviously, the benefit, just alleviating the loneliness, it means uh, an overall improvement in mental health too, correct? Yeah, and so we see that people that have higher quality friendships, they also report having higher well-being so they just feel better in general and they also feel like they're more self-actualized which is just a fancy science way of saying they feel like they're actually living up to their potential and so there's a lot of really good mental health benefits for having high quality friendships now friends are oh, so there you go we, we know that friends are good but they're not easy to find all the time right especially i find for adults and i was just talking to some people in the station this morning as we were getting ready for the show and they were talking about you know what as you get older you've got co-workers and if you click with them great you can probably develop a friendship there but otherwise it can be tough to make friends when you get older right mm -hmm, definitely and there's some research looking at that um really specifically just talking about the difference between how we make friends so traditionally Social psychology has thought, well, we make friends because these people are similar to us. 
they're familiar to us or they're in close physical proximity to us. So that would be the example of like coworkers or yeah. people that are in the same classroom or whatever it may be. But we know that those aren't the only ways we make friends. And we know that some of those friendships are going to be really temporally unstable because as soon as you leave a job or as soon as you go to a different class or you move, you then lose those relationships because those things like physical proximity are no longer there. Absolutely. And I think we've probably all experienced that as we've gone through life. Um, What about the gender conversation around this? Men look for different things than women look. The relationships are different. That's not necessarily true either, is it? Yeah. So traditionally, we tend to think of women as liking more emotionally close, dyadic um, relationships where there's a lot of back and forth information being transferred between the friends. So really, we're thinking of maybe like one to two close friends really intimate conversations, stuff like that. And the research also would say that men like relationships that are more team building, um, kind of task oriented. So there's just more people involved. And the example that's normally given is like a sports team or a collaborative kind of team working together. But some research has come out suggesting that that's because we're using definitions of friendship that are kind of gendered based. So do you like to have a one-on-one dinner with someone, or do you like to play team sports? And when we actually start expanding those definitions and we talk about emotional closeness um, in a way that actually incorporates masculine preferences for emotional closeness, we see those gender differences go away in some regards and in some cases. So that suggests that both men and women or any other gendered term you'd like to use, they have preferences for these really close friendships, but they also have preferences for those more team-based friendships that are task-oriented. Interesting. Okay. So if we've managed to convince some of the lonely people in the audience that, you know what, friendship is worth it. The benefits outweigh, you know, whatever you may be holding back. Um, How do you do it? Like, where do you start trying to um, evaluate your own position and and, and what you need and, and how to make friends? Where do you start? Yeah, so there's a couple things that you would want to do. The first thing would be you'd want to kind of figure out what you actually value in friends. Do you really want those really close one-on-one emotional relationships or do you want more multi-person task-oriented like team relationships? Because depending on what your preference for that kind of friendship making style is, that's going to kind of determine where you can go to make friends. Like if you really want a multi-person task-oriented friendship, you're probably not going to go to, um, a restaurant and spark up a conversation with someone sitting next to you, you're probably going to be able to find those relationships um, at a park or somewhere where there's a sporting event, where there's a kind of task that you can bond over. Gotcha. Um, Another thing is that it's going to take a lot of time to actually build these relationships. There's research suggesting that 30 hours of interaction with just one person can lead to a casual friendship, but it takes 140 hours of interacting with one person to have a good friendship with that person and 300 hours of interaction with that person to actually make them into a best friend. So it's going to take a lot of time, even after you've identified what kind of friend you're looking for to actually make that relationship happen. So, I mean, and I think one of, Oh yeah, go ahead. So I'm just saying be prepared to work, right? It doesn't just happen. You'll have to put some effort in. Mm-hmm, exactly. What about um, sort of taking a look at not only what you want, but what you offer? Like sort of saying, this is this is what I bring to the table here. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite pieces of research that's out there. Um, we're all unique. We all have our own strengths and weaknesses, and we all bring those into our friendships. 
And what research has actually shown is that when we're able to demonstrate what our strengths are, and those strengths are things that are desirable in a friend, such as loyalty, honesty, dependability, we're actually able to attract friends that are more closely aligned with what we want in our friends because we're showing what we have to give. And then we end up with more satisfying friendships to begin or to end with. Hey, let me ask you before I let you go, do we need, we, we talk about public health. We've talked about it a lot as we went through the pandemic and stuff. And we hear about all kinds of public health initiatives and, you know, kids probably remember participation and stuff. Do we need to do that kind of programming around loneliness and friendships? Is this, if, if the health benefits are that real and that profound, is this a public health problem that we need to throw public health resources at to solve? I think it can actually address another public health problem, which has to do with suicidality. Um, And so there's a really great researcher at the University of British Columbia who's actually working on how can we take what we know about friendships and loneliness and actually translate that into reducing instances of suicidality. And so he's working with um, a male population in British Columbia actually seeing, can we take what we know of friendships and how to reduce loneliness and how to make those good connections to actually address some of these public health issues like suicidality. And what he's finding is when we take that information and we kind of have it not necessarily built up in a program to be able to say, this is exactly how we stop these things from happening. But when we take these insights, we actually do see real world public health benefits. So I'm not going to say that there definitely needs to be a program, but it seems like at least an awareness of this is going in the right direction of reducing some of these issues. Yeah, and it's a really good idea. Jessica, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you being here.